Hello. Buenos dias. Hola. Bonjour. Dzień dobry. My parents are from Ghana. Hello. Hello. Bonjour. Culture is home for me. Bună ziua. Bună dimineața. We have 42 nations represented at our school. Salamu alaikum. Merhaba. Buongiorno. Moin. Forza Napoli. Servus. Bravo. Grüezi. Je suis multiculturel. Ma mère, elle vient du Cameroun et mon père, il est allemand. Uh, my parents are from Croatia. Culture is like the traditions and forms of a home and it kind of forms like the country or its culture is the people and the people from the country. We are Sophie Barrett! <laughs> Welcome to Language and Culture with Dr. J. In this season, I bring you interviews that all center around the question of what it means to belong to two or more cultures. This particular episode takes us to the Sophie Barat Schule in Hamburg, Germany, where we just completed phase one of a larger research project on multiculturalism and have a wonderful panel of guests who will help me discuss this topic. The Sophie Barat Schule is a private Catholic school in the center of Hamburg. It is a gymnasium, one of the largest in Hamburg. The Sophie Barat Schule encompasses fifth through 12th grade and offers a wide range of courses, including an excellent array of classes for language, music, social studies, and science. From my personal experience with the Sophie Barat Schule, I can tell you that I'm always delighted to have a graduate of the Sophie Barat Schule in my seminars and lectures at the university. And this is really true. I have yet to meet a Sophie Barat student who is not polite, interested, charming, and incredibly well-prepared academically. <laughs> of the quality of education offered by the Sophie Barat Schule that I'm so honored to be able to start my research project with these students. All of this would not have been possible without the involvement and dedication of Dr. Wetzler, who is the coordinator for career and study orientation at the Sophie Barat Schule and teaches German, English, and theater. We were also helped tremendously by Dr. Wetzler's Profil Klasse English, in other words, by Dr. Wetzler's wonderful students who have a particular accent and focus on English in their mm -hmm. curriculum. But let me tell you about the research project. In an effort to study the effects of mono, bi, and multiculturalism on society, I have created a fictitious universe made up of six lands, hexagon land, trapezius land, square land, and so on. I set out to examine how the six cultural dimensions defined by the Dutch social psychologist Gerd Hofstede are influenced by mono, bi, and multiculturalism. Gerd Hofstede defined national cultures through his cultural dimensions. For example, his research led him to ascertain that Germans tend to score high on the cultural dimension called uncertainty avoidance. Germans have a need to try and avoid uncertainty. As a result, they invest in a lot of insurance, health insurance, pet health insurance, car insurance, house insurance against fire and natural disasters, <laughs> insurance for glass items in your house. This really exists. I have it. On the other hand, for example, people in Greece score very low on uncertainty avoidance and tend to just roll with the punches and deal with problems as they come up. Let me give you one more example of Gat Hofstede's cultural dimensions. Power distance. India scores very high on power distance with there being a large distance between the classes, or in this case, the castes. Dalits and Sudras would never even dream of directly speaking to the Brahmins, for example. On the other hand, in the US, power distance is rather low. People call each other by their first names, regardless of their social position. Employees and children are encouraged to question the decisions made by those in charge. You kind of get the picture. What I am interested in finding out is what happens with these cultural dimensions when we're dealing with people who bring several cultures with them. If someone has Italian citizenship and now lives in Italy, 
but this individual grew up in Germany and went to school in Germany, will he or she score more Italian or more German on Hofstede's cultural dimensions? What about third culture kids, individuals who grew up with or were socialized with three, four, five cultures? Which country will influence their decisions the most? So I took my fictitious world, mixed in Hofstede's cultural dimensions, and created four characters that I asked questions about. I created a monocultural character. I created a character who is monocultural but has significant exposure to one other culture. I included one bicultural character and one third culture kid or multicultural character. These characters are from hexagon land or square land and represent fictitious countries because my intent is not to be in any way political or to identify or evaluate political or national characteristics, but to try and find out about the effects of multiculturalism. So with these characters at hand, I developed a questionnaire, and this is where the Sophie Barat Schule comes back into the picture. The entire 11th grade of the Sophie Barat Schule took this questionnaire. I have to quickly give credit to one more person, Ruth Van Rieken, who has dedicated her life to doing research on third culture kids. Her book and her research were extremely helpful to me in the development of my questionnaire, particularly with the multiple choice answers to the questions. All right. So this is just the beginning of this research project. The questionnaire will be filled out by several other schools and organizations, and I will be publishing my results sometime in the summer of 2024. So today, I am sitting in front of the entire 11th grade of the Sophie Barat Schule, as well as several of the teachers here, parents and distinguished guests. And we want to talk about what thoughts and emotions and reactions the questionnaire elicited in the students. We don't want to give away the particular questions that we asked in the questionnaire, but rather to discuss the topic at hand. The 11th graders have selected five student representatives who are sitting on the panel with me and Dr. Wetzla. On the panel to my right are Leticia, introduce yourselves. So my name is Leticia and I'm 16 years old. I'm Cameroonian, half Cameroonian and half German, but I was born and raised in Germany. I'm Emily. Um, I'm 16 years old as well and my father is from China and my mother is from the Philippines and I was born and raised in Hamburg. My name is Kaya. I am 16 years old as well uh, and I was born and raised in Germany and both my parents are German. My name is Max. Um, I was born and raised in Hamburg. Um, my mother is Polish, my dad is German. Um, I grew up kind of bilingual, but my mom, uh, like, she just spoke Polish with me when she was really angry with me or getting angry, so that happened very often. Yes, I'm Daniel. I'm from Austria. Um, my parents um, are, my father is Austrian and my mother is from Gabon, but I grew up in Austria and then we moved to Germany. Um, my name is Dr. Wetzler. I am 51 years old and both my parents are German. <laughs> I lived in Britain in between now. So this is meant to be a discussion, right? So every single day we're choosing to act a certain way. What are our actions guided by? When you pick what you're going to eat today, when you think about how you're going to get to school, or what kind of entertainment you're going to use. So in terms of food, um, I believe it's mostly my parents' decision because um, <laughs> I'm rarely home to really eat something, so they're just making food, and if I come home, they say, yeah, eat this, eat that. And mostly it's Polish food, um, so it's really nice because I'm, I'm always really happy to eat Polish food because I really like it. Um, in terms of like entertainment and transportation, 
it's more like a common thing which I do every day, so I don't really think about it anymore. It's just like, all right, I stand up, get ready, and then I just take the train to school. If the train is not working or something, I'm taking the bike or my parents are driving me, but it's always just like a few options which I can choose, but it's mostly the same, so it's not much to decide. But, but already that with transportation, your experience as a Polish-German young man is completely different from that of an 11th grader in the US. You would probably, you're 16, 17? 17. 17, you would have a car. Basically. Most likely you'd be driving to school. So, so you know, these are, these are huge differences. But let's go on a little bit farther with, with food, actually. So you eat Polish food at home mainly. What do you think you'll do with your kids? I mean, I know it's hard to sort of imagine the next generation, but, you know, do you, these, are, these are things that we, we uh, pass on to, to, to future generations. Um, do you think that you will pass on this cuisine because it makes you feel homey? It makes, it's associated with coziness, with mom, with, right? So... Yeah, so um, the problem in the whole thing is I hate cooking, so um, <laughs> I'm not really sure. But because it's a common thing in my family to give by the recipes on like the next generation, um, I'm pretty sure I would do that because if I'm older, I still want to eat the Polish food. So if my kids don't want to, all right, it's cool for them. But I'm pretty sure I'm still, still going to eat Polish food um, and Polish drinks and stuff just because it's somehow my childhood but somehow just the taste is that good so i will just keep going on okay so let me hear from the rest of the panel as far as food is concerned <laughs> to what degree are you affected by you know different cultures and how willing are you to also find out about the cuisine of, of other cultures ones that you do not yet know um so for me um at home i actually just eat cameroonian food and that's what my mom taught me like since i was like very little so for me it will be actually I will pass to my kids definitely Cameroonian or African cuisine yeah well for me my mom loves cooking actually so we're always trying different cuisines for example um, I think in a week we try from different culture everything she likes to try it out and my father is very open about it but mostly we are eating probably Asian cuisine but it's sort of a mixture of all the cultures. So at home we usually um, try out new stuff because we don't have a culture or special food that has a meaning for me and my family. Uh, so we are just very open for new stuff and finding new recipes, trying new recipes out um, because maybe food is like limbs of another culture for us and it makes us feel like we are while we're eating the food like part of the culture and experience something from another country I would say the least thing we eat um, is German food so most of the time we're trying out different stuff Italian sometimes Portuguese um, sometimes it even depends on where we were on our last vacation on holidays because mm -hmm. uh, then we, we found new food we really like and try to recreate it at home because it gives the vibes and it's somehow so cool. Um, and if we do not know what to eat or what to make to eat, we're just going to go back to the Polish stuff because we always have something there. Oh, yeah. um, as I grew up in Austria, um, we always ate um, Austrian food. Um, the Wiener Schnitzel is um, a good example for that. Um, and for me, it's a little bit um, difficult because I always um, liked um, the Austrian um, cuisine, but I never adored the cuisine in Gabon um, as much as I would uh, like to because my mother is always trying to feed us um, little pieces of her, of her cuisine too, but we're always uh, saying, oh, we prefer um, uh, schnitzel right now. And then she's a little bit disappointed, but I, I'm trying very hard to, to eat um, the food that she wants us to eat too, but I'm not that good at um, experiencing new um, cultures in terms of food. Well, for me, I would say I can, even though I'm here as a monolingual part of the panel, I would definitely say that when it comes to cuisine, I'm sort of multicultural or at least bicultural within my own culture. I come from the very south of Germany 
And um, so to me, the southern cuisine is definitely an integrated part of my, of my uh, daily life. And I remember how my daughter, when she was in kindergarten, when she kept getting these... Um, Freunde album and these and, and when it comes to the question of favorite food, everybody else would be putting I don't know pizza and, and, and ketchup and pa pasta whatever. And my daughter, born and raised in Hamburg, would always put Maulteschle in exactly that way. And of course, others would be staring at her, not knowing what she was talking about. And to her, it sounded so completely normal to be putting that as your favorite food. So there you go. You can, I think, even carry these different uh, cuisines even within one uh, leading mono culture in a way. You know, that, that's one of the things that I find interesting. I mean, we have monoculture, biculture, uh, multiculture on the panel, and it doesn't seem to make a difference. We're all kind of curious and exploring different cuisines. So do you think that there is a difference? Do you think that you, we could say any generalizations about monocultural people explore more uh, cuisines or multicultural people explore it more or less? Or do you think it's kind of also the depth of it? For example, one of my pet peeves is, you know, when we say we know uh, Asian cuisine, sushi, for example, where it's like reduced to something you can buy at the grocery store. Sure, it's great. I buy it too sometimes. But, you know, it takes seven years to form a sushi chef. Um, if you want to have real sushi, it's a whole art uh, form. So, so what we said was, we're all curious about different cuisines, but do you think that we go, quote unquote, deep enough? Or do we just kind of say, oh, just because I eat antipasti, I know Italian cuisine, whereas I don't, or? Um, I think in Germany, we have the um, luxury to have the accessibility of almost every food around the world. So uh, we could basically try out everything we want to have. We could have sushi, we could have pasta, we could have, have currywurst, burger, basically everything, even french fries and a milkshake if somebody likes that. But I think in other parts of the world where the economy is not that high, studied, it's uh, harder to find food like Wiener Schnitzel uh, somewhere like on the other side of the world. So we around here, we can find pierogi and kolachiki and stuff in some of the stores, but in other parts of the world, they only have like one restaurant in the whole country, even if they have that. But. I just wanted to say that it, I think it's, it's uh, getting more and more difficult to be defining that one cuisine. And I think it's more difficult in Germany than it might be in other countries. You would find all sorts of dishes on there and only a few of them would be considered traditionally German. I think the pizza is nowadays as traditionally German as can be, really. I mean, my parents keep telling me how fantastic it was when the pasta came to Germany, really. And, and that they had not experienced that before. So I think uh, it's, diff it's getting more and more difficult. I think Austria is much better at sort of keeping their traditional food in a way. And I think it's, you get it less and less in, in Germany to be actually talking about German cuisine. I mean, even fine dining in Germany these days, it's French or whatever. So it's, it's a different um, role, I think, that the German cuisine plays these days. To maybe add another aspect, you brought up the example of the Asian cuisine. And I think when we today in Germany say, yeah, I today had sushi or I ate something typical Asian, then we do not have the full experience you would have if you were somewhere in, for example, China and really have the dish in a local restaurant with a local chef. But you would experience something much less spicy, for example, because here in Germany we maybe have, do not prefer that spicy or we preferred maybe another way, not this traditional, original way. And therefore maybe it's wrong to say, yes, we can experience cultural food and traditional food in Germany every day because we can't in a way because it's always a bit different. It's never really how it is in its home country and in its origins. Um, may I say, I, I believe that if you have a country with um, very traditional food and there are different uh, pieces, um, 
so in Austria we don't just have um, Wiener Schnitzel, we have other you have Wiener Würstchen as well, as well. <laughs> um, but um, in uh, Hamburg, when I came to Hamburg the, um, the first dish I knew was um, the Lapskaus and if you see a, a Lapskaus you're very um, yeah, frightened and shocked by that because you, you you would never eat something like that. And my my father did, and uh, he said it um, it was um, it tastes better than it looks, but that doesn't mean that it tastes great because it does not really look that great. So um, if you have many different dishes in your country, um, you. Um, you, tend, uh, you will tend to um, preserve them more. In Austria, um, our cuisine um, is like a treasure. It's, um, no one would um, like to trade our cuisine. But um, I think if you don't have this um, variety of, of food, um, you may um, tend to try other dishes from other cultures as well. How important is it for us to keep a particular national cuisine? Do you think that we're maybe going towards more of a global cuisine? There are right now, there are all sorts of trends where chefs are mixing what they learn from French cuisine, Mexican cuisine, Italian cuisine, African cuisine, and they're mixing it and coming up with their own styles. Why not? Is that legitimate? Why can't that be the whatever global style? I think it's a bit about identity. Um, I would like to refer to something Max said earlier. He explained that different Polish recipes are passed on in his family and uh, that his mother cooks and that he would like to introduce his children to um, this cuisine. And I think that shows us that food that the differences um, is some, something about family history, about your own history, about your identity, about how much you identify yourself with your country and with your uh, yeah with your fellow countrymen. And um, I think it is very important to maintain different cuisines around the world because food brings people together. Food is a main part of a culture and I think we should never start to mix up all the different dishes and different ways of preparing food to have in the end just one main main cuisine around the world because we would lose so much diversity and so much uh, variety and, and so much to explore and I think that would be a very, very big shame. But with that logic, then we would need to keep some sort of authenticity for each cuisine. So if we do say it is important for us not to lose this cultural heritage, not to lose the identification factor, the belonging factor, the identity factor, then it would be important to, like I said, keep a certain authenticity, keep a certain depth of it. But then what do we do with bicultural and multicultural children and families? We all want to be diverse. We all want to explore different cuisines and find it really cool and find it really important. We also want to sort of make sure that the cuisine of our ancestors, that we that they were able to pass that on and to cook it, etc. But then what do we do with multiculturalism? Yeah, I think the identity is not even that important in the first way I think in the first way which is important is that you're not mixing up stuff or not mixing up different identities because then you just lose them if you cook different varieties of food behind each other like seven days a week you cook every time a different food it makes this one curse special and if you just mix them up and like try a little bit Hungarian and German and French and American in one meal, you don't have any option anymore. You're just losing the identity and the variety per course. I would say. I just wanted to say that I think it's. Uh, I think that the whole idea of cooking of a cuisine is changing in the way that our world is changing. I was born in Romania, but to Hungarian parents. The point is that already if you talk about my national cuisine, my national identity as defined through cuisine, I don't have one already there. 
because my parents are Hungarian, but they're Hungarians from Romania. So the cuisine, I mean, even the names, if, are any of you Hungarian for some reason? Okay, oh, wow. So, for example, um, you know that eggplants are called in Hungarian podlizan, right? Am I right? Okay, in Transylvania, we say vinetto because the Romanian word for uh, eggplant is vinette. And so the Hungarians in Transylvania, instead of saying vinette, they made out of it vinetto. And the way vinetto, which is what I call, is prepared in Hungary is different from the way it's prepared in Transylvania. The Transylvanian vinetto, or this is an eggplant spread, is a little bit more Balkan and has a little bit more of the Romanian influence, etc. Uh, look at carrots. Carrots are called in Hungarian repo, sago repo, right? Uh, in Transylvania, we say murok. I mean, you know, it's like a completely different word. So already, what do you do with my national identity when it comes to that? It's no longer a national identity, it's a regional identity. Okay, now you take me out of that and you transport me to Texas. So then I actually, I grew up in Texas. So I grew up with burgers and pizza and hot dogs and whatever, I mean, American cuisine, if you will. For example, white bread. To this day, I can't stand white bread. I cannot eat the spongy white bread. So that's one part of my American identity that never took off, right? Then I studied in France, so I love foie gras, and I love croissants, and I love, oh my goodness, I mean, French cuisine anyway. So what, what do you do with my national identity? And so what I pass on to my children is, is a mix. I would view it as something like an exchange. You brought your traditions, your Hungarian traditions to the US and got something in return and you learned to enjoy, except for white bread, you learned to enjoy maybe the American cuisine. Then you came to France and you could tell the French something about American and Hungarian cuisine and you learned something about French cuisine. And you experienced all these different cultures and all these different foods and I think this is a knowledge you could pass on to your children uh, to teach them and this is maybe the most relevant thing I, I I see in that in your story and in your life you could pass on to your children to be open for everything and to try everything out but still find their own identity and maybe I wouldn't uh, worry too much about the, the mixture of um, cultures because Maybe that's the new identity that we're creating um, in the future. And it's really hard to tell German food apart from maybe Austrian food or from French food is sometimes um, difficult to tell apart from uh, the food in, in Belgium. So I would say that you have to be open for everything else and in the end it does not matter that much if it's French food or Italian food, um, but it matters um, which identity we're creating in the future, and maybe our new identity will be a mixture of um, several different identities. So that's exactly the point also of this, of this research project is how do we deal with that? I mean, the, our world is becoming more and more global in the sense of cultures are also mixing. There are a lot of exchanges, a lot of people moving around, a lot of uh, marriages and couples that have several different cultures and pass this on. So I love this idea of an exchange and of, of learning from each other. But the fact of the matter is that we are mixing and we are developing sort of a global culture. So let's move away from food and cuisine. Let's Let's go towards um, the questionnaire also addressed transportation, language, ways of speaking, uh, ways of in enjoying entertainment, different styles in education. How do you feel about that? What did you think while you were taking the questionnaire? What aspects of multi and monoculturalism come up as it pertains to these areas? For example, in language, my father speaks Chinese to his family and my mother speaks Tagalog with her side of family. Uh, but when we're all as a family, like my mother, my father and I, we only speak in German because that's how we communicate. But I would say if my father is 
with the side of my mother's family. We also speak German, but also kind of mix a little bit of Tagalog in it. So, yeah, and I grew up speaking mostly German. And that's, yeah, in my family, it's quite difficult because most of my father's sides are in Asia, whether my mother's side, her, her sisters and her aunts and her mother and everyone lives in Germany. Well, we do have some family members in other countries, but they are also very spread out in the world. So some are in England, some are in America, in Canada, Mexico. Um, and that's also how we kind of learn different cultures in our family, because they always say or talk about it and say, oh, you should try that. Um, this is how we do it. And this is how we communicate, because that's how, differently from others. I agree with that. Uh, as an example, the best friends of my parents are uh, from Venezuela. So sometimes when I come home, it's my Polish family there, and they're all speaking Polish because half of my Polish family is actually in Germany. They're living here. So my cousin and my aunt and everybody. But sometimes it's, uh, I come home and there's some Spanish speaking in there. And I'm like, yo, what's going on now? And my dad is speaking Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, everything. And um, so when he is communicating with um, his friend, she's called Elimai, um, they're only doing that because they want to annoy everybody else because nobody speaks Spanish. So um, it's just what she said, you're, you're learning different cultures by different people. So it's, it could be friends, it could be family, it depends on where they live, depends on where they come from. And if they keep the traditions up to speak the modern language um, at home, they can pass that further away. Um, I think it's really interesting because for me, although we, my whole family lives in Germany, we don't really mix the culture. For us, it's more than like, yeah, when we go outside our house, it's like we're, we're acting like, no, not acting, but we are Germans. <laughs> um, but when we, as soon as like we enter home, we are definitely, like, we talk just French. We are just eating Cameroon, like, Cameroon dishes. So we definitely change our culture and change the, the way we act and the way we are outside of the house. So at home, um, it's very difficult uh, to speak because we have three languages. Um, we could speak in German, we could speak in uh, French and everyone knows to speak English so everyone tries to find their way of handling this situation my um, mother is always speaking in French but uh, my younger brother uh, tends to answer in German and he listens and he understands everything but he is always answering in German because there's his uh, comfort zone. He loves um, speaking German. Um, now he's listening a lot to um, English music and, and is trying to speak um, English, but he's always answering in German. And I'm, um, I'm more um, answering in French, but when my father steps in, uh, into the kitchen, we're switching into German because um, then we know um, my father, he could speak uh, French with us, but as I grew up, I always um, answered in German. And it was, um, it's, a, it's like a habit um, that if my father is around, we're always um, speaking German with him. Uh, yeah, something similar to Daniel. Um, my parents sometimes slip up from the whole German part. They uh, kind of, they start saying something in German, but then they start saying something in Chinese or Tagalog. And I do understand it, but um, for other people, when they come to us, they are kind of shocked. They were like, what's happening from, from German to that and different, um, different languages? Um, my father did pick up some words after time and do can speak some, and my mother as well. So we do can communicate sort of together in my mother's uh, or my father's um, mother tongue, but we mostly speak in German. Um, yeah, at home it's pretty similar for us. Um, as I said in the beginning, my mom is only speaking Polish with me if she's really angry. 
Um, now you reminded me that actually my mom's uh, speaking Polish as well when friends are there and I forgot something. She wants to tell me something, but she doesn't want me to look bad or something. So she's like, yeah, clean the table. But she's not telling me clean the table, but she's just like telling me in Polish. And actually, I, I sometimes wish we would speak more Polish because I noticed my Polish is getting really rusty over time. But because my dad, he speaks Polish, but it's not that good. So we could communicate all together, but it would be really hard. And as an additional, my brother doesn't really speak Polish. He never really liked it somehow. So we are speaking what the most people in our family can speak the best, which is German. So my brother is in South Africa right now. So he learns, um, he learns English very well. He learns French there very, very well. He has a German class as well, and he has some African speaking class as well, but I forgot the name. Afrikaans? Um, huh? No, it's not Afrikaans. It's, um, I'm trying to think about it, but it's, it's some name with a click in it, mm -hmm. so it's uh, hard to pronounce. Um, but, yeah, I, I, sometimes I wish we would speak in more different languages at home, which happens rarely. So, again, I, uh, thanks for the, for the comments. And that's, that's also, again, it's the same thing. It's just the thing that, that, that is difficult is... So... I speak, and I told you guys, I speak six languages. And I really speak the six languages fluently. But it takes a concerted effort. It really is, this is what I do. I'm the, the academic head of modern languages at the university. So, so I speak four of the languages on a daily basis for work. And I speak the fifth one with my parents and, and sort of, you know, I, I have friends who are Hungarian as well. Romania is actually really difficult to keep up because because I don't have the chance to, to do it as much, but I do uh, make an effort to do that as well. But it's, it is difficult to keep up that many languages. And that's something that, that worries me a little bit, um, that we end up sort of speaking languages just a tiny bit. I, I've even noticed this, for example, with our students at the university, that very often um, there is a tendency to take more than one, two, or three languages, which is great, right? We say it's, it's, it's diversity, it's great, it's, we encourage multilingualism, absolutely. But oftentimes what ends up happening is that you reach sort of this B1, maybe B2 level in the language, And that's it. So you don't learn it well enough to where it's actually with you and you can keep it lifelong. And after one or two years, you kind of just lose it. And so I wonder if, if that's, you know, I mean, certainly as an input, as a way to get interested in the culture, as a way to discover something new or to sort of grow your brain and stimulate your brain. But for the linguistic skills, is it uh, beneficial? That's one. And the other one is, what do you do again with multicultural families? So I did not pass on Hungarian to my children and my parents are very sad about that. I speak to my parents in Hungarian. We continue to speak to each other in Hungarian. But my parents live in Kansas and they speak English. So why would I teach my children Hungarian? Why? Where are they going to use it? They speak French from school. We are teaching a little bit of Spanish because their father also speaks French and Spanish. That's four languages. German, English, French, and Spanish. Hungarian gets lost, and that scares me as well. But is, I mean, of course, they know how to pray, they know how to curse, they know, you know, they, <laughs> they know how to do the basics in Hungarian as well. Um, but it will be a language that's lost. And so, so what do we do with these questions? You know, what, what do you pass on? I just wanted to come back to two points you just made. The one point being, we tend to get, in a way, lazy. We learn languages, we learn them up to a certain point, and we're able to com communicate in those languages, and then we start becoming lazy. And I mean, that's something that all of these year 11 students have just noticed. They're all very good at English, they all are. And then they come to Oberstufe and all of a sudden it's kind of like sort of, you know, kind of sort of, you know, kind of is not good enough anymore. So they might have even returned from abroad. They might have spent a year in the US, in Canada, in New Zealand, wherever they might have been. And they would have gone along so well and they would have just lived their life there. And all of a sudden they come to the English classes in sixth form and they have to use a completely different register. Uh, they have have to have their analytical skills in English. So it's it's a completely different kind of thing. Um, 
And I think that is tricky because we tend to believe that English is a language, the lingua franca. It is a language that is so easy to learn, and I do agree with that. I think you know we could be all done. We could wrap it up after after grade eight, and and get along fine, just fine. But that's when it starts getting interesting, and that's when it nuances, starts right? exactly when you're able to do the nuances and when you are, can actually speak a language in a way that you can fully grasp the culture that is connected to it coming back to culture. So um, that's the one point I wanted to make, that it gets very, very difficult after a certain point, and it's uncomfortable, and it's a lot of work. I can certainly agree on that point. And the students, I think they can definitely agree on that as well. And the second point you just made, um, where does it stop? What drives me into passing a language on? What drives me into handing on that cultural aspect of language? And I think one of the points you just made, you said my children can pray in English, uh, sorry, in Hungarian. Um, I think that it is, it is connected to some sort of feeling, and again, here we are, identity. For example, for me, from the southern part of Germany, uh, I come from a town that where the, you might not understand the people due to the accent, right? And to me, that was the one thing I promised myself, that I did not want my children to be in my hometown, speaking to my parents, not being able to fluently understand their own grandparents. That was sort of the mantra for me. I did not want them to go to a shop being asked something and they're just staring at people, which my husband did when he was there for the first time, but that is fair enough. So that was something, I as a mother, what was my the, sort of the minimum I wanted to reach? And that was certainly some sort of skill of understanding. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I'm not speaking the accent, that's fair enough, but I wanted them to be able to understand. And I think that is something that many parents at least try to pass on, at least the sense of being able to understand, I don't know, maybe the songs you sang as a child, understand the stories that you might have been told by your parents when you were a child. Um, and I think that's important. I agree with that. Um, what you said earlier is, um, why would I teach my children Hungarian if they don't need it? Um, my point to that is I would always teach my children, in my example, Polish, because even if I don't know now, like I don't know yet what they're going to do, it's easier for somebody to revise something which you have already learned once. So if you, if you prepare them to be able to speak in a language and they lose it because they don't speak it, because they don't need it, then it's easier for them to, maybe they want to go to a university, a university in Hungary and you're taking the opportunity from them because they can't speak a single word Hungarian. If they learn it once when they were a child, they can, they have sort of like a basic level. They should still remember a few words, a little bit of the grammar and how, how you speak, how the way you communicate is different in every country. And I would say if you, if you keep on passing on the different languages, it's always a plus point. So a little thing, it's, it's a problem for me, but in the situation, it's a problem for me, but afterwards it's helping me. Um, it's not a decision, but it's just something that happens. I have the problem that if I miss words in English or in German, I keep, I, like, I keep mixing up the different languages. That's what happened to me in the beginning. I wanted to speak Polish like for three words. And I was like, nobody here understands that. <laughs> so um, especially when I have to switch uh, from different languages pretty quick because I'm talking German to my Venezuelan friends and they brought somebody who just speak, uh, speaks English. So I have to switch to English. And then my mom is yelling at me from the kitchen, why didn't you bring the food on Polish? <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm like, yo. Uh, and then I answer in, in a mix of all of these languages. So that makes me, afterwards, it makes me, uh, makes me remind of um, what that word actually means. Because as I said, my Polish is a little bit rusty and I lose some words. So I remember them again because they're still inside of my memory, but I don't really know how to use them sometimes. And that's the thing. When is it too much? When I have to switch, like, how it... Well, not just necessarily for you, but, yeah. you know, sort of, you were saying with my kids, yeah. I mean, they had to have German and English, and it was really important for me that they speak these two languages really, really well. Um, and then they do add French at school. Um, and Hungarian is a difficult language. 
when is it too much? And sort of to what extent could they practice their Hungarian? They, they would not have had enough Hungarian situations. Yeah, we don't have to talk about that specifically, but sort of when is it too much? But you wanted to say something, Emily. Uh, yeah, for example, my cousin, uh, she's also multicultural. Her mother is Korean, her father's Chinese. She grew up in Singapore and um, moved around the world, around Asia. She was in China and Shanghai, everywhere. And so she grew up with four languages, English, German, Korean, Chinese. And she's very interested in languages. You can see it in her. And she likes to try new languages all the time, to learn new words in French, Spanish, Italian. Um, so I think that really depends on the person as well, if they're interested in learning something. If you're not interested and lazy uh, about a language, you're not going to learn it. You're going to lose every single thing that you had learned um, in the past. Well, it's got to be easy for you to revise it, but it's still not going to be the same if you're really interested. You're going to keep it in your head. And yeah, I think that depends really on the person, I think. Okay, so we did not talk about the questionnaire at all, which is really good, but we had a little discussion mainly about food and about language. I'd like to open it up for questions from the audience. There's a race very tall that we like And so I have a question of why is it important to have a culture or to have an identity that's connected to a culture? So what's the point? Yeah, thank you. And I, I'll repeat it to you once. So, so you were saying that you were not raised with particular pride in a, in a culture, and so why is it important to keep a culture, and why is multiculturality important? Who would like to...? I would say, for me, um, because it brings back memories uh, from my childhood, and also, which is a way bigger part, is... Um, it keeps the traditions of my family and their family and the granddads I know and or was able to know. Um, it, it keeps a certain vibe and a certain way to live in a household um, with it. And I think that's really important, um, yeah, especially as a, as a little kid, as a child, and now as a growing up teenager. It's, it's, I'm really happy that I had um, multiculturalism at home. I totally agree on that. My parents never raised me um, to be extremely proud of um, uh, their cultures. They always said, um, it's, um, we are very proud of our cultures, but they never told me to be that proud of um, who I, um, where I come from. Um, so it's just inside of me um, that I, think every day um, yes I love where I'm, I'm coming from and I'm really proud of that and it's you have sometimes you have memories um, uh, from um, vacations um, back at home and your identity is suddenly mixed up with your cultural background so it's not necessarily, uh, you don't have to be proud of it, but your identity oftenly becomes uh, stronger if you're very proud of it. I suppose it's about not forgetting where you and maybe where your family came from and where your roots lay. And I think you don't really have to be proud of your nation or, or tell everyone how proud you are to be a German or Austrian or Polish or Chinese. But I think it is important to remember what the different cultures are about and maybe to remember uh, your ancestors' cultures and to remember your, where your family came from and to not forget what differences they were, but also maybe which things were the same and uh, yeah, to build bridges and to have this sort of exchange between the different cultures because if we just forget then we will lose so much knowledge and so much beauty uh, if we are just talking about a language or about, about food then if we would forget the whole, for example, Asian or Polish culture, we would lose so many delicious recipes or we would lose so many beautiful, interesting languages. 
and that would be um, really sad and therefore I suppose it is very very important to remember where you came from and to remember your uh, special traits and the special traits of your culture and your ancestors culture uh, I can agree as well I like that not everybody is the same that we have a difference and you can learn from other cultures you can learn from other people and how they view things that's always different um, when I talk with a friend who is from from a different city or even culture land whatever they view things differently than I do and we can kind of connect with each other and find a balance between us so that's what I enjoy. I agree with that. I just want to add that um, if you do not grow up with a culture or something, um, you lose a piece of history. And I believe learning about history and learning about how things happened and why we are eating this now. As an example, many of the Polish food we're eating at home just happened to be eaten because of the Second World War, because the people didn't have the availability of other foods, so they just mixed some stuff up and it somehow tasted good. And now it's like national courses, which they all eat. And I believe if you grow up um, multicultural or cultural, it connects you to different people um, and to new people. As an example, I've met a friend. Uh, she's Russian, and a few weeks ago we just compared language and what we eat and stuff, and it was pretty similar, and it didn't surprise me because I knew Russian and Polish is pretty much, it's, it's, it's near, it's, it's pretty much the same. Not, not the same, but it's mostly similar, and um, I just think it, it makes you learn stuff about different cultures as well, and this is really important. Thank you so much for really for taking the time to take the questionnaire. Thanks for participating in this podcast episode. Uh, the episode should air sometime in October. I will let Dr. Wetzler know so you can listen to it. it will, it's on Spotify. My podcast is on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or on my website, culturium.com. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.